Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. <laughs> if I had to pick which one of these two things do I understand more deeply, it would definitely be the first one. But yeah, we can, we can do United stuff no problem this is the talking tactics podcast uh my name is daniel we have a special guest this week it is paul a special guest at this point <laughs> it's kind of a it's a question i have it, it, i want to call you a guest uh-huh. but then it's like you're more family at this point so you're not really a guest if you know what i mean but paul is here with us well with me for now carl is doing some special things with i don't know if i can shout it out but a, a television station that if you follow him on twitter you'll be aware Half Hope should be joining when he joins. He's decided to watch Power, the season finale. So he'll show up soon. But yeah, we got Paul with us. How you doing, Paul? I'm great, thank you. I just to clarify, when I listen to the show, I always feel like family. Like I, I assume assume the position of family. So I'll take that for sure. Thank you. You know what? You shouted us out on the uh, World Cup coverage or something. Yeah. And, and and a lot of people, like maybe not a lot, I, I don't know exactly, but I know a couple of people were like, we found the podcast through Paul and the Rankcast when you shouted us out. So I just got to say thank you for that one time. You're welcome. Like that, that I, have we talked since the World Cup? I mean, we've I texted, but we haven't actually verbally talked. No. Yeah. That, like th- that coverage, I mean, I'm not exaggerating this. That coverage was the best coverage preview coverage of the world cup anywhere like as you can imagine being a massive football obsessive i listened to tons and tons of podcasts i read tons and tons of features um you know i subscribed to 442 magazine and they did a brilliant world cup um preview thing but yours was without doubt my favorite coverage anywhere the the fact that you went to people you took the time the effort the work to talk to all those people and you also you had really engaging conversations with all of them. I loved the way you kept running themes, but also let the conversation go where it went organically. It got me so super excited for the World Cup, and it was brilliant. <laughs> Thank you, man. It, it, it was it was I, I bit off more than I could chew. I guess that's the easy <laughs> way to say it. I didn't I didn't realize when I thought, yo, I'm gonna talk to 32 people out of 32 teams. Like this is gonna be easy. No, it wasn't. It, it was like 31 interviews in like a month. It was not easy at all, but 
we made it work. So I'm, I'm glad people enjoyed it. So yeah, thank you. But yeah, we have a topic for today's show that we'll get into when a third party arrives. But in the meantime, you've made me listen to a Jose out grime song. Carl made me make you listen to a Jose Outgrime oh, song. Carl has made Paul talk to me to listen to this song. I got through about two minutes of it. I, I guess the kind of Jose Out camp is is take really, really taking hold at Manchester United. As you know, Paul does the uh, United Rant podcast. So we can have this conversation, I guess, in, in some detail. How, how are you feeling about Jose Mourinho, man? I feel like I, every time you've come on, I've asked you this question, and I'm, we've got varying answers. So how, how do you feel? After the transfer window, Edward would brief the press and uh, one of the lines in the briefing was that the club are preparing for life after Jose Mourinho. And let's just say I am preparing for life after Jose Mourinho and quite looking forward to it. So um, that that tune that I I linked you to, which I'm sure loads of people listening have heard because it did the rounds on Twitter. Anyone that cares about United's probably heard it anyway. Um, That came out after the Tottenham game. And then then came Burnley and the 2-0 away and the cult of Mourinho in full effect among United's away supporters. So they basically chanted his name for 60 of the 90 minutes. He went over and gave his jacket to the fans at the end of the game. United beat Burnley and actually played well doing it as well, to be fair. It was 2-0 and it could have been more comfortable than that. Um, but, you know, you, you're a Chelsea fan. You've, you've been through this twice. You know what Mourinho <laughs> does to fan bases. He gets them to turn on their best players and decide that he's the messiah. He's only turned to the fans because they're the last ally available to him. Like He's been quite dismissive of the fans previously. And I'm no doubt if he lasts at United, he will be again. Or if he goes somewhere else, he'll vary between angry and dismissive with the fans and deciding they're the most important thing in the world, depending on whether they're allied with him in that moment. I mean, you know, Mm. Chelsea won the league the season after, the season that started with fans holding up banners saying, you know, three snakes, who are the three snakes? Hazard, Fabregas, who's the other one? It could have been Matic. Nah, it couldn't have been Matic. There's no way Matic... You know what, you know what, you know what, you know what? People actually believe that because Jose Mourinho put... He substituted him on... And then took him off in the same game. Mm. And people assumed that he was one of the people that was a snake in that whole scenario. But right. then, like, he bought him for 40 million. And I don't think anybody has ever really gone back and said, you know what? I don't think he was one of the bad ones. Because <laughs> why would he go to Manchester United again and have be so complimentary of Joseph Mourinho in that way? But Chelsea fans definitely thought that because of that substitution, substitution, that Matic was one of the baddies. He's like undroppable at United as well. Last season, he was essentially run into the ground twice by Mourinho. He was run into the ground and then kind of recovered some form and then was run into the ground again. And I'm sure that's what will happen again this season. You know, the, the apart from the Martial thing, which is just so sad, and it's interesting that there's loads of rumours going around that it might, it might have even happened and I missed it somehow, but I don't think so. Loads of rumours going around that he's about to sign a new five-year deal with United, which will, is definitely that I'm going to be here longer than Jose deal. Um, but but Pogba is the the one like I sent you the link that you were very already very familiar with of the French song Ramener la coupe à la maison and just watching the French team celebrate and watching Pogba be in his element and surrounded by people that love him and getting the best out of him it's it's just so upsetting because Pogba is basically the best reason to watch United at the moment and he's not able to do anything like his best now some of that is somewhat on him. But the extent to which this rests on the way he's being managed is is crazy. And and 
you know, you've what's the litany? Salah, De Bruyne, Lukaku to some extent. There's so many players that have been kind of those are the main three, though. Yeah, right. But what what are three to have? I mean, especially <laughs> De Bruyne and Salah is is off the charts. You know, it's an interesting situation. I saw on your podcast. You've been calling Jose. I've seen Donald Trump. I've seen indications of Kim Jong Il Un or Il. It's Un, I think, the new one. Un, okay. The current yeah. one. I mean, I don't think either of us are advocating for him to get sacked. The Kim Jong-un line was definitely not me, by the way. That was Ed. But the Trump thing is a semi-serious point because the way that the United away fans reacted to Jose Mourinho at the Burnley game is a brilliant example of why Trump's basic tactic works every time. Because if you just point at the press and go, these are the baddies, don't listen to their lies then your kind of built-in supporter base who are um, really partisan and inclined to uh, believe their side over anything will be ferociously defensive of you. And mm. that's what happened. You know, respect, respect, respect. Like, the, the person that he said that to was Jamie Jackson. Now, Jamie Jackson is the least ABU, you know, anyone but United. He's the least ABU journalist in the press pack. He's a lovely guy. He um, he was on our podcast talking about how he thought United were going to win the league in the second Van Gaal season, near the beginning of the second Van Gaal season, but still. He goes on the full-time Devils channel a couple of times a year to do stuff with them. Always very, you know, complimentary about United. He's not a United fan, but he's He's certainly not anti. So the fact that Mourinho is kind of pointing at him going, respect, respect, respect. You know, this this was pure theatre and <laughs> and lies. You know, it's just a lie. It's just a way of waving a shiny thing and going like, you know, drain the swamp. How did you feel that he was using accomplishments won at Chelsea to justify the situation at Manchester United? Like, did you feel a way about that? Yeah, I felt a bad way about that, Daniel. But not <laughs> the thing is, I was I'm immune to it because nothing will ever be worse than when we got knocked out by Sevilla last season. And he went, I've knocked Man United out of the Champions League twice. It's no big deal. <laughs> <laughs> All right, pal. All right, pal. You know, I mean, it's not it's not a shocking development to realise that Mourinho is a massive narcissist who's mostly just interested in the greater glorification of Jose Mourinho, is it? No, it isn't. I still love him, though. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna. I was gonna ask, like, how does this all leave you feeling? Are you enjoying watching him destroy a different club for a change? You know, I, you you said a point about something that it's Paul Pogba is the only enjoyable thing about Manchester United, and I was thinking to myself, mm, not really. <laughs> like, <laughs> what, what what watching the whole implosion is kind of the interesting thing about Manchester United. But I I I, I know you meant as a Manchester United fan, so I kind of let the point go. But watching it, I'm just kind of having fun. Like, oh, so this is how it looks from the outside. Hmm. I remember one of our listeners is a Liverpool fan, funnily enough, and he sent a question into Rankcast that just said, remember how fun it was watching uh, Chelsea implode in 15-16? It's like, yes, damn it, that was fun. There's no way he can last to December at Manchester United if he had the same results. You have to think, like, Chelsea... And Mourinho, they, he had so much cachet with the fans that he could kind of mess up until December. And I was still mad when he got sacked. Yeah. Even even though we were 17th, you guys are what? Maybe 9th, 10th, but it's yeah, like three we, games through four games. There's if, planes flying to get out the management. Like, And funnily enough, this is going to really directly tie into what we're talking about later in the show. Because that plane banner is a kind of poster child for the triumph of individualism. Because the idea that you should be 
directing your ire specifically at Ed Woodward, it's just so profoundly ignorant. Now, I'm not saying that Ed Woodward's doing a good job in running the club. He's absolutely not by the terms that we would care about. But of course, he is by the terms of the people that are actually have a vested interest in how the club is run, which is which are the owners, you know, and, and the problem at United goes much, much deeper than the existence of Ed Woodward and the fact that he's not necessarily brilliant at the football side of his job. The problems are systemic. The problems, you know, there are, there's no one on the executive board with any football background. You know, so, oh, funnily enough, the club's not very well run. Now, there are non-executive directors with a football background. So Bobby Charlton, Fergie, they're both non-exec directors. But, you know, a non-exec director is advisory. All the executive directors on the board are the Glazer families, Richard Arnold and Ed Woodward. So the, the idea that this is somehow all, uh, you're either with Mourinho or you're with Ed Woodward is crazy. Have, have hope has arrived. What's up? What's up? What's up? Yo, yo, yo. I guess we can we can end the United chat here. Are you optimistic about the season? This is going to be a no. And in that no, yeah. where do United finish in the top six or perhaps outside the top six? No, I, I think there's far too much individual talent to finish outside the top six. And there's too many bad teams in the division. Listen, who knows? Anything can happen. But I think I think it would be genuinely shocking if we finish outside the top six. No, obviously, I'm not particularly optimistic for the season. Although I do think like a third place finish is far from unreasonable. Uh, I think that, that there's, there is a chance that happens. But I guess I think we finish fourth or fifth, probably. Spurs, Liverpool and City are all better than us. Um, I don't think Spurs should be better than us, really, given the the level of talent. I definitely don't think either Liverpool or City should be better than us from a moral perspective. <laughs> um, but <laughs> I think that's that's definite. And I think, you know, we'll see what Sarri does at Chelsea. Obviously, Arsenal are, you know, it's top five plus Arsenal, isn't it? It's so disrespectful from you guys, man. You gotta stop doing that. But yeah, um, hi, Half Hope. How you doing, man? Yeah, no, no, I'm no, not. Look, I'm just recovering from like a um, a really bad cold. But yeah, I'm cool. I'm cool. I'm cool. Yeah, man. What's up? Did you pick up the cold in Siberia? I did actually. Mm, I did. So, guys, trust me. Whenever you go to Siberia, wear five coats, not four. All right. So, uh, have you guys watched any of this Nations League thing? No. A few games, a few games. A few yeah, games. like, I, I don't know if anybody's really paid that much attention to it. So I just figured, you know what, we have to, we don't have to do it. But we were going to record a podcast anyway, so we might as well do something a bit different. So Have Hope and I have almost had this discussion like three or four times, but we just decided let's leave it. So now's the time to have it. It's more about fan culture and how people find their meaning and derive purpose, I suppose, from the clubs they support and just sports in general. And uh, Paul, if you would tell everyone what you do, that, uh, so, that makes you qualified to, to speak with us or us to speak with you, I suppose, would be the better way to put it. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a psychotherapist by trade. So that's that's my my actual job is that I, I work with people to help them with issues of childhood trauma or abuse or alcohol and drug abuse um gambling what what, what is the difference between a psychotherapist and a psychologist there, there are really three or maybe you could say four but there are in in the uk there are really three different tiers uh one is a psychiatrist who um those are the people that sit in a room and prescribe medication and they'll be the people that oversee people with serious mental illness and people who are hospitalized and things like that but so those those are the people who you'll see 
um, within the system. Psychologists, there's lots of different ways in which you can be a psychologist. So you can be a researcher and be a psychologist, for example, and never really work directly with people. Uh, then there are clinical psychologists who will work in hospital settings normally um, doing mental health work with people. Psychotherapy is a very broad spectrum. And so some people will do in-depth work with people for 20 years for three sessions a week. There'll be other people who will see people for six sessions and claim to be a psychotherapist. So it, it's a very broad church and not particularly well-defined. But the way that I work is I work in a pretty in-depth way with people over a kind of medium-term period to do proper in-depth work. Mm, so like you have like a couch that people lay on and just talk to you? Uh, they don't lie on it. They uh, they sit on it like oh. regular humans. <laughs> <laughs> but there are psychotherapists who use the lie on the couch model. But that's a pretty outdated model by most people's estimation nowadays. <laughs> I was I was curious about it because like, apparently today's like World Suicide Prevention Day, so yeah, that might be another another thing. But I was I was looking like psych call a psychologist or psychotherapist. Or I was like, what's the difference? But I didn't Google it. But anyway, I, I'm forgetting the real reason that this was sparked the last time. What what was Argentina's first game at the World Cup? Does anybody remember their first Wait, game? This past World World Cup, Iceland. They played Iceland. <laughs> And Messi didn't score. He missed a penalty against a film director. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he did. Yes. Why are you laughing? He did. He's the guy, the, the, the film director. So Messi, Messi missed a penalty. And I think I read that someone in India killed themselves mm. because Messi didn't perform in the World Cup. So basically, he took his life because he was so enveloped you know i think there's probably close to no way that the truth of this situation is that this man took his life because messi missed the penalty I'm sure that there's a chance that that's the triggering event i mean in 1950 when brazil lost the effective final of the world cup to uruguay there were reported suicides in brazil because people were so shocked but the the truth of the matter is that if this is pushing you over the edge you're probably walking quite a dangerous line in the rest of your life anyway. Yep. From a kind of clinical perspective, without working with someone, you don't know the truth of their story. Right. So it might be that something snapped in this man's mind at that point. But I think to understand the reason that somebody would invest that much of themselves in their fandom of a sports figure, most of us talking about this or listening to this podcast only need to look at the example of our own lives to see a kind of um, um, obviously much more minor but still on the same spectrum version of this reasonably speaking why should any of us actually care about 11 millionaires kicking a ball around or 11 people from the same country as us kicking a ball around why should any of us invest so deeply emotionally in this? Well, the answer is we're getting something from that that we're not getting from the rest of our lives for the most part. So there are lots of different versions of that. For some people, it's about participating and it's about community. So uh, you become part of a tribe because you go to every Man United game home and away or whatever it might be. These are your people, you'll live and die with them. Or if your national team is extremely important to you, then that's a kind of more obvious tribal joining kind of thing. So you're outsourcing 
some of your emotional well-being to sport. You're kind of, um, a friend of mine once described it as, you're pushing your emotional chips onto the table, hoping that your number comes up. And if it does, then you're rewarded with vicarious triumph. I mean, I've, I've thought about this a number of times watching Man United win the league and seeing people celebrate this victory as if it were their own. Um, when, of course, it is not. In no way is it. You may have been there and participated. You may have financially contributed in some small way to it. You may have invested your emotional energy. But essentially, that was a choice on your part. You participated in something vicariously. Now, in the tragic case that this, this takes to the nth degree, I think there we are looking at the kind of vulnerability of people in the world, in the, in the world as it is right now. So for somebody to watch Messi miss a spot kick and then kill themselves, they have invested into this to a point at which it's become pathological. So it's crossed the line from uh, there is an argument to say that there's even kind of a healthy version of this at one end of the spectrum to something that's extremely dangerous at the other end of the spectrum, where instead of taking any responsibility for your own well-being, you're completely outsourcing it to something outside of yourself. But, you know, when Take That split up, so Take That are a British boy band who were absolutely massive in, I think, the early and mid-90s, when they split up the first time around, there were hotlines set up for teenage girls in particular, but boys too, who could talk to them if they felt really distraught by this because the whole thing was built in getting people, mostly emotionally immature people, I don't mean that disrespectfully, I mean literally they were young people whose emotional maturity hadn't fully developed. They Their whole business model was about getting these people to invest ridiculously deeply in the lives of these people. This is what fandom is. So it's not unique to football, but it is... It is the kind of danger of what happens when you invest more of yourself. You're basically gambling with more of your well-being than is sustainable. You know, what? I have a theory that kind of piggybacks off that point. This isn't a nice point to make, I don't think, but it's it's one I'll try to make, even though I'm not qualified. I feel as if, you know, generally speaking, people's lives aren't that great. So we attach ourselves to things that make us feel good. When, when I picked my football team, it wasn't necessarily like, what's the best team? Let me support them. Um, but Chelsea being in the first division definitely made me feel like, yeah, this is a team that I think I can support for the rest of my life. It wasn't like, let's go to the second division or I don't know, league two or someplace and find a team there. It was definitely like, I want to support a team that's good. And I always look at people like, so you support Real Madrid, you support Barcelona, you support Manchester United, you support the best teams in the world, even though you have no connection to those clubs. What does that say about your life? Are you trying to find something to make you feel good? Is it really like you love that thing or do you love what it does for you in terms look, of making you feel look, look, good? Look, I'll break it down. This is the reality of the matter. And I think you both touched, touched, touched upon it. Most people's lives are that nine to five and living for the weekend. And my thing is that it's all linked in with religion. Like people who are like against religion and they insult people who like, you know, are <clears throat> devoutly religious and everything. So how can you do that? What you're doing is pretty much similar to a religion. Okay, the only difference is that, okay, we can't see this, this God. But at the same time, everything else apart from that is the same where you are devoutly worshipping this team, devoutly worshipping this player to, to a point where it doesn't make any sense. But I think for people, they need this in their life. That's what that is what gets their hearts beating. That's that's what gives their 
life something because their their work sucks. Their personal life may not be that that great. So this full football team or this player or, or so forth of this celebrity is what actually gives their life some meaning and, and some life and actually gives their life some electricity. But I think that a narrative has to be put in life where you have to find different things that does not that do not relate to worshiping something that isn't yourself because a, it's an unhealthy way to live where your your life is all about something that isn't really connected to you manchester united and all those people make 50 times more money than you do like in like five six seven years instead care about yourself and your life but there are some people who prop this player or prop this team above their own lives and themselves so that's where you will get to a point where that team loses you'll kill yourself because you're so in, in invested because you have nothing else to live for but for this for this team and it's almost like a drug that you actually it's a high that that, that you have that my gosh man i will die for my club i will do everything i will i will spew racial like I, like for instance whenever i insult messi and then i get all of these racial insults towards towards, towards me and i'm like and then guys were like, "Well, oh, no, 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 I'm not, I'm not, so I'm not really being racist, you know, but you know, you can't say that, but, but it's like, that's the issue is that you're so invested in something that's stupid because this dude kicks a ball around. That's all he does. He doesn't save lives. He doesn't do anything to help people. He just kicks a ball around and he couldn't, like Cristiano and Messi couldn't give a flying f about any of their fans. They only, they only care about them because those fans help them to feed their own family very well by sponsorship deals and cachet and their ex exposure i basically agree with almost everything you've said until just that last part which is that they probably well they certainly don't care as much about the individual fans as mm. the individual fans care about them that's i mean that's just not technically possible for them to do that mm. but i i think that there is a there's a leap of assumption made that they don't care at all i, I think that's... oh no 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 okay no, no oh no yeah like like yeah at the end of the day they're they are human beings so they, they they care to a point so obviously that's just me going to an extreme but yeah put it put it this way which is, which is the point that you 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 made the amount that that fan cares about cristiano or messi is nowhere near as how much messi or cristiano cares about them cristiano and messi do not care anywhere near the, the degrees that that devout fan cares about them so in that stage i say to that fan that that doesn't make any sense it's almost as if like if you're in a relationship the love has to be mutual once one person loves the other person way more than the other person that's an unhealthy relationship it has to there has to be an equilibrium where the love is equal but the love is so skewed way in the fans direction that it becomes on on health that so I, I look back and say you care this much and you're willing to die and defend this a, a person who cares far more about their family than you do so this kind of emotions and passion you have for this person do you have the same thing for your mother your father your own family your own friends <laughs> who have actually had your back that's the crazy thing is that i don't think that these devout fans care as much for their own family than they do this celebrity, this player, or this football team. But it goes back to the point of like, in our life, we don't we need that thing. We need that thing. Like for me, like I need football and I need film. Without football or, or film, I can't function. For, football and film are two things that I need in my life. It's like for me, like, like, like Ronaldo is like my guy. Like Ronaldo is one of my idols. But I'm not going to literally spend all my days going into like ronaldo's diary what was ronaldo's like for instance why would i why would you like a 
video of Messi and his family or Ronaldo and his family. Why? That's his family. Now, like a video about him scoring an amazing goal, about him winning something at 13, but once in a gets to the point where you, you're, you're looking at his family, his wife, his, his, his kids and everything, that becomes creepy. <laughs> that becomes really creepy. But it's like, for these guys, they want to know everything about this person. Same thing with actors. Like for me, Gary Oldman is, is the greatest actor I've ever seen in my life. I don't want to know about Gary Oldman's li private life. I just want to see him act and that's it. But and basically, Gospels point out that, that that's what defines people's life. And I think that has to stop. You can't well, have that define your life. It's not going to stop, though. Because, I mean, you, you're absolutely right that if that if that is you, you know, if we're describing you in this scenario, then I, I would say it would be very worth you thinking about that in a kind of serious way for yourself. I'm talking to listeners here. But it, it isn't going to stop because it will take one form or another as part of the human condition. Because the problem here is clearly not football. The problem here is the level of inequality in society, the paucity of provision of mental health facility almost anywhere in the world, you know, um, the insane taboos around mental health in huge parts of the world, pretty much everywhere, to be honest. These these are the reasons, and, and all sorts of other reasons too, like, you know, the deterioration of quality of topsoil, meaning that there aren't enough vitamins in the food, so mental health is seriously affected by things like that too, you know, so... They're, this is multifactorial in a huge way. What? If you if you take an orange off the tree in 2018, it will have considerably less vitamin C than it would have done 120 years ago because there's just much less vitamin in the soil because of the way farming's taken place. And this is one of the reasons why there are health epidemics all around the world of all different wow, kinds. Okay. It's one of one of many reasons I have to say. I don't read but... science journals enough, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, so I wanted to say, a few, I hope made so many interesting points there, and I wanted to say a few things about some of them. One of the things is, I think if you pick, if you pick Madrid, Barcelona, or Manchester City, there are two reasons. Uh, there are two reasons. Notice how I use City, not United. There, um, there, there are two reasons why you would do that. One of them is because you like winning, but the other one is because you like quality. So I, I can really. I think it's completely fair to pick a team that is going to play really elite level football if that's what you're into. Now, I think that's probably okay. a minority compared to people who are thinking, oh, I might get some trophies out of this. But I can really understand <laughs> you grow up in, in, in like, and you're sort of, you know, you're 10 in 2011, you're born in 2001, you're 10 in 2011, you might become a Barca fan, you know, because it's so exciting to watch. It's not just that they win, it's also that the, the football's kind of flowing and beautiful, or you become a United fan in the 90s because United are so exciting and glamorous, not just because they win all the time. Um, so, so I think it's not quite as simple as to say it's the winning, but I do think that is a thing for a, a huge number of people. And you definitely get kind of addicted to the winning as well, I think. Um, and it's been interesting to watch United fans trying to cope with their team not winning anymore. And generally speaking, I think, you know, obviously there's a spectrum, but I'm not sure as a collective they've done, we've done particularly well at coping with that. The reason why, and I was, when I picked Chelsea, these guys were coming sixth, losing to Bradford City away with Dean Winders getting <sighs> a, a brace. The reason why I, I picked Chelsea was... So basically, I, so when I came to England, you know, like I was like one of very few foreigners in England, you know, so I, I always pretty much um, was friends with the foreign pe people. So when I saw Chelsea, 
and Desai Petrescu was there, and I think Dennis Wise was like the only English dude, dude there. I just sort of could get a kind of kindred spirit with them being all these foreigners put together in this situation, and they just played football their own way. So they, they could beat United at home and lose 5-0 to Bradford City or Derby County away. And I just sort of like fell in love with, with, with that idea. So not really about them always winning, but what the kind of team they were, the football that they played, and just their character and their and their personality was what I really fell in love with. Sorry, that's a really good example of of the multidimensionality of all this. Like it's not it's not straightforward and simple. People just don't pick one people don't pick the team they support for one reason. And they pick the team they support for a huge variety of reasons. Obviously, like it living here the biggest reason that people support a team is because of the family and friends. That those are it's what you grow up with that that chooses which like English team you're going to support. But that's a different situation around the world. I'm sure there's much more kind of choice involved. Right. Although increasingly we're at the stage where there's going to be second and third generation Premier League fans all around the world, you know. So they'll that that kind of thing will be passed down. I'm sure there are lots of Indian parents passing United onto their kids, you know, um, and the same in Africa or like, you know, places where there are Arsenal fans in Kenya and you know what I mean? It's gonna it's gonna be happening all around the world. And I, I think that's an important important thing to say. But I I think you know, you, you use the example of racism, and I think that's that is really analogous to the suicidal, the suicide point. And I, I just want to be really clear here that this is very serious stuff. And speculating on why somebody killed themselves—that's why I would never speculate on the specifics of why somebody killed themselves because you just don't know their life, and it's a really. It's really messy, like simple. No pun intended. No pun intended. Oh uh, yeah, God, sorry. But no, the idea that it's a simple cause and effect um, equation is is really misguided. So I think that's really important to say. But that you know, you mentioned about the the people giving you racial abuse for talking bad about Messi. I mean, I'm going to go out on a limb and say in the same way that I think that probably somebody kills themselves after Messi misses a penalty, that person was in trouble already. I'm going to say that people racially abusing you for criticizing Messi were racist already. You know, oh, yeah, for this, sure, for sure. this is oh, yeah, not yeah. their first racism, you wouldn't imagine. <laughs> <laughs> he said it like it was like their first racism. Like, oh, this is, this is my first time to McDonald's. Oh, my first racism. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I always find fan culture a bit interesting. Just old Bleacher Report comments used to be the worst place, man. You can't even repeat some of the things that people would, would put in the comment section. And that kind of gave me like my first taste almost of like the extent to which people cared obviously i care about what i write about but i don't i don't think i care about chelsea as much as i should to call myself a fan in some ways <laughs> do you know what i mean like if chelsea stopped existing i think i'd be okay which which, which lets me and, know and, and, say, and a lot of people will not be okay a fan. maybe it shows that i'm not as big a football fan as maybe i purport myself to be because i, I don't know do you so. know what happened Football peaked when we won the Champions League, 2008. I've never been that sad at a football game when when John Terry missed and Anelka missed. I've never been that sad. Like I cried. I'm sorry for, I'm sorry for laughing at your sadness. And it's okay. We won in 2012. But when Drogba hit that penalty in 2012, I, I don't remember. I don't remember anything. I was outside with my shirt off. I don't remember how I got there. 
<laughs> it was just it was a blur for like a minute. I don't remember how I I, I must have ran outside. But well, that, like... that 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 emotion it can't be repeated. If if we win again, it wouldn't be like the first time. Half Hope says something key where it's like it's like a drug, and they always say like people who get addicted to drugs, you're always looking for that first high, but it never comes, and then it just gets worse and worse and worse. I feel like football peaked for me. There's something that I wanted to say about that, which is was to do with the first part of what you said, which is like, oh, don't, maybe I'm not the fan I purport to be. But I feel like there is a tendency, especially in people who cover football, um, to almost apologize for being emotionally healthy. Like there's almost an expectation <laughs> that you will sacrifice emotional health for the sake of your team and that that's somehow that that is a good thing. To care about your team at the exclusion of your own well-being. You don't have to apologize for that. I don't like giving things that I can't control too much power over my emotions and reactions to things mm, yeah, because that yeah. that's how that's how I, I, think I cope with with negative things that happen to me if I can't control it and it's bad I can't control it therefore don't don't feel too bad in this situation mm -hmm. but that also if something good happens I always I also try to think there's more factors in this than just me it's not necessarily of my doing I, can't, I didn't necessarily control the good outcome that happened to me. Therefore, stay kind of level in that way. And I don't want to give Chelsea the power that if Eden Hazard misses a goal, well, let's let's go with Morata. If Morata misses a goal, like I can't I can't help him. I can't baby feed him to to like score. Like I'm not in the stadium. There's nothing I can do to ha have him not score. It still it, it perturbs me. It makes me mad when he misses because he's a professional footballer, and I, I want you to be mad that you missed. But I'm not going to just, I'm not going to go at Alvar Morata, you FNC, you this, that, you like how people do on Twitter. Like, that's not in my constitution as a person. Like, I'm not going to let you have that much power over me. You know, what's really interesting about this is almost the, the people who invest the most time and money in football are people that follow the team home and away. And I'm not attaching any moral value to that doesn't make people a better fan or whatever because it's just completely impractical for some people but the the people that invest the most time and money are definitely the people that follow the team time and away and generally speaking they are the people who's who are in a way least affected by the result because they're having a great time you know if united go to uh i don't know tottenham away at the uh the season we won the europa league and and Mourinho had given up um, by that point, and we lost 3-0. Everyone that went to that game had a good time. They they probably drank all the way down on the bus, and they sang <laughs> songs, and they did lots of, like, depraved stuff that makes them think they're happy um, or gives the illusion of happiness. But, you know, they'll remember that day as, like, a good day in their lives versus someone who's got up at 3 o'clock in the morning to watch it in a different time zone and then been kind of, like, had really miserable football served up to them. So it's a really interesting dichotomy that the people who are almost most technically invested are in a way the people who are least affected when the result doesn't go their way which is why you 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 get the guy from india who is more affected than the than the actual argentine person in the freaking stadium so i think it was cameroon or ghana but i think there was a, a nations cup game and i think Cam it might have been cameroon who lost it was either cameroon or ghana but i think it was cameroon who lost and this guy from cameroon basically like committed suicide when Cameroon lost. So I think there is something, especially in these countries, whether it's be India, South America, or um, what's it called? Escobar. 
1994 World Cup when he's after he scored the own goal in the World Cup, he he, he came back and he got shot. But they said that may have been drug related, but it may have been because he scored the own goal. So I think there's something about these countries, whether it's been Africa, South America, or Asia, where it's different from Europe for those regions where you're poor, you're you know you're struggling to really make ends meet. Football is pretty much your only solace. Football is your only solace. That's why in Nigeria, religion is so huge because there are a lot of people who are in ridiculous poverty that the only thing they can get any solace of to actually sort of survive is religion and 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 praying and for football as well. So when you're that invested because you're living in such harsh circumstances as opposed to the guys who if you can afford to go home in a way you're doing all right financially you know if you're gonna go and say to me you're financially you're doing i you know but with these other guys financially you're 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 not only on point so you have you have to invest because or else you'll be extremely depressed so that 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 part that last part i don't agree with i agreed with everything you said up to just that last part again (laughs) And no, Paul, is... Paul, quickly, how often does that happen where half Pope has a good point? You're like, yes, yes, yes. Then he says one line. You're like, no. <laughs> I mean, literally every week, several times a week, often. Um, last week, last I've got to mention this. Last week was the first time I've ever thought he's gone too far. He's gone too far this time. When man said the David De Gea thing was all hype. I was like, okay, I try not to invest excessively emotionally in my football <laughs> opinions. But the man's gone too far now. Like, all anyway, let's let's leave that one. Listen, I wanted to make a serious point, not a ridiculous point. Um, first of all, lots of people who travel home and away, they're doing all right to a level financially, but that yeah. they're I mean that you're talking about many people who are like working double shifts and all their money is going into, you know, that's their life. That's the thing they do. So then they, these are not necessarily people that are well off outside the confines of football. And I, I think it's a really interesting point that you make about the relationship between cultural religiosity and how likely you are to excessively invest. And I, I do think that there is there is something about um, cultures where profound religiosity is almost the norm or certainly like a recent historical norm where you're likely to find that transferring more directly to football. But 84 men a week take their own lives in the UK. Suicide is the biggest killer of men under the age of 45 in the UK. So like um, the kind of mental health epidemic is... Absolutely. You know, there, there is a suicide epidemic in this country. It's 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 at devastating level. So they're the kind of um, the depth of the, the problem manifests itself def- differently, but kind of the same problem exists across lots of different cultures. To that point, I don't want to say like football is the source of all problems. So I do want to look at it from the other side. Do either of you feel as if football can be a healthy thing? It was at the start of 2018, and I, I saw a tweet. It was like, anybody who's going through anything, like, don't kill yourself. We got Black Panther coming out this year, and we got yeah. the World Cup. Yeah. So, like, do you guys think that, like, things like the World Cup, things like just every just, – just knowing that you have a place to go on Sunday, whether it be to a bar that you go, a pub, whatever the case may be, whether you're actually going to the stadium, whether you're hanging out with friends and whatnot, do you feel like that could be healthy for mental health in a way? For sure, for sure. 100%. Like, I mean, I've always said, like – that's why for one woman, the worst time of the year 
is June and Jojo July every four years. That's the worst thing. Because like, I think I remember one woman actually said that, my gosh, I can't wait until this, this bloody World Cup is over. <laughs> so it's like, for like some guys out there where they may be oh, single or, or it may, it's, it's com- complicated with a woman who's pretty much screwing up their life, you have this thing where it's going to always bring you joy. Even if your team loses, it's still joy that it can bring you. And in this life, man, life is short for some people. So are you going to waste your time chasing this woman, chasing this million-dollar car, chasing this thing? Or can you just look forward to every weekend watching your team play and going through the emotions of we won, we lost, and when we win or lose, let me go and talk and vent my rage with fellow fans. Let me go and actually joy and just drink, have a few drinks with my friends. So I think there is definitely a good side of football fandom and there's definitely a dark side of football fandom. But you just have to find and focus more on the, on the good side. Because trust me, no, trust me, I mean, being into football, I, as, I, as I said again, like I challenge anybody, I challenge anybody to tell me a greater feeling than seeing your country win a World Cup. I challenge anybody. I do not think that there is a greater feeling than seeing your country win a World Cup. I mean, I think, first of all, I think one of the dark sides of football fandom is a tendency towards horrific misogyny. So it's it's worth pointing out that the notion (laughs) that women don't like the World Cup is insane. It's just complete nonsense. No, no, but Um, let's be, okay, let's be like, the majority, like most women don't, are not football fans. uh, Now, I will will say that, yes, the World Cup has got to a point where it's much more of a social event now. So, even if women are not into football, if they see their... It's almost as hope, if like it's, 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 it's going to be on sports now. Most yeah. men are not football fans. Football fans are a minority of the global population. But, so you, you, but, you more, oh, but, but, but more men are football fans than a woman. Though. Like, you're more likely to see a guy who is into football than a woman who is into football. That, that's a fact. Though. Come on. So that, that's probably technically true, but the scale on which you're describing it, I, I just think it needs, we need to call it out as a community when we see it. We need to kind of say, what is, what is the idea that this is a, this, that football support is divided along gender lines, that men like football and women don't is, it's crazy in, in both directions. Loads of men don't like football. Loads of women do. And football stadiums are increasingly, like, uh, there are more and more and more women in football stadiums. Like, mm. that's, that's just the fact of it. So so I, I think it's important to, like, say, well, listen, these 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 things don't fall along gender lines. But the the thing that you said about the greatest feeling that you can possibly imagine in the whole history of life is watching your national team win the world cup is kind of exactly what we're talking about here it's, <laughs> kind of about oh, wow. I'm sorry, I was about to bring that point up I was like I, look, I, I, I may be wrong I, man I can think of at least if, a couple if, of things, Niger- like... if I see Nigeria like look I'm sorry if I could score the winning goal for Nigeria at the world cup I'm sorry <laughs> I don't I know a greater feeling than that man like I, 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 a... I'm sorry I'm sorry I'm sorry. There's a hope, difference hope, between. Hope, do, you, do you plan on having like children? Like you, you think that's that would be better than man, like it's, having it's, a kid? It's it's better than the birth of a child, man. I don't care, like it. Listen, child, man. Come on, man. Like if, let's let's be real, man. Come on. If you're <laughs> it's, it's, it's the world, man. Come on. 
if your point is scoring the winning goal for your country in the World Cup is one of the best feelings you can imagine, that is very different from saying watching the team that you like your World Cup, your country winning the World Cup is a very different thing. Like, I'll give you scoring the winning goal in the World Cup final for your country, as that's probably going to be the best moment of your life. But yeah. watching you watching your country win it, I mean, imagine, imagine scoring a World Cup winning goal, man. So, oh, okay, okay. So, 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 like Mario Goza has the greatest feeling ever but probably not to him you see for someone like mario gotza and also remember you see the german mentality is very different from let's say a south american or an african mentality so i think like for someone like davos Shuke, what he did for croatia back in 98 feels greater than see, see, I think, see you know what i think for mario gotza as of right now it's not really that big big a deal Maybe when he's 50 or 60, he'll be like, oh, damn, yeah. But I think as of now, I don't think for him, how he lives, he's young, you know, and the kind of world that we're living in, I don't think it's that big of a deal for him. So hmm. I think I think one of the things that I was going to ask is, do you think that the fact that you're um, you're Nigerian and so there isn't there almost isn't an expectation of seeing the nation i mean i'm english it's the same thing i'm also french though which is convenient um <laughs> but, but um i'm english so there's also i would say not, i mean there's you know it, it is something that has happened england have won a world cup but i'm not sure it's much more likely that england are going to win a world cup in my lifetime than nigeria you know but um so i'm not saying it from that perspective but do you think the fact that it is less likely or you kind of almost can't quite dream that it would happen do you think that changes how you feel about how you would feel if it did happen? Well, no, I think no, hundred percent, my guy. Because I think because of the fact that it is extremely unlikely, based on just the how few teams have won the World Cup, and the fact that football is so huge in Nigeria, and how the how Nigeria has so many issues, so many problems, and football has been one of the very few unifying things in a country with so many problems that that is why it would mean so much because like it's beyond just football it's about increasing the morale of pp people getting people to be happier just for that small moment and getting people to actually believe in the nation which is why it's like that's why it's hard because football in and of itself okay you're just trying to, you're just trying to get the ball inside if efficient but for some reason this very basic sport pretty much that is pretty much stupid has somehow elevated to a point <laughs> where I mean, like, come on, what you, you, yeah. you're trying to get a ball inside a, a damn fishnet. Come on, I'm laughing because I agree, but go ahead. <laughs> yeah, so but for some reason, this this fishnet game has evolved <laughs> where it's like a unifying thing, like football in Nigeria is huge. So if something like, like this, well, whatever it may be, can unify a country and bring people together, that's a big thing. So now, okay. that's even beyond just this, but that's not, we're not talking politics, we're talking life, we're talking human beings Hepo, now, so. Hepo. so, okay, Ma Mario Gota scores the winning goal, but it's not against Argentina, it's against Nigeria. What happens? <laughs> See, and that, that's, that's why I feel like it can go too far, because... You you, oh, okay, wait, wait, okay, I'll take it back, okay, I'll take it back, like... If Mario could, okay, like, that's just me joking. If he scored that against Nigeria, like, for a week, I would try to avoid seeing his face for at least a week. After a month, I'm like, you know what? Fuck it. 
it's just it's, <laughs> but for, no, for for a week i'll just avoid seeing his face also and also I just, also i was thinking if nigeria won the world cup i don't know if africa as a whole would be overly thrilled with that <laughs> anyone else Anyone else? Oh, no, 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 100%. Like, else? Nigeria are the most arrogant nation, and hence why <laughs> Africa does not want Nigeria to win that damn World Cup because if they, they did, I mean, I kind, a, a, a I kind of would just, I kind of would because it makes sense that that would be the nation that would win it. The fact mm-hmm. that like you have guys haven't even been to a semi final is kind of disgraceful considering yeah. the, 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 the amount of that you guys love football and the amount of people that you have to pick from. But, but they're all under the bridge. That all the good players are under the bridge. All under the damn bridge, man. But I'm Sad. just thinking, like the the Nigerian reputation in Africa probably doesn't extend to a point in where in which everyone's gonna just be excited for you guys. I don't think. But you know, that's healthy, just a thought experiment. The healthy thing, because I, I think what Hope said is really interesting. This is all about sliding scales. So, um, you know, avoid seeing his face for a couple of weeks. After a month, you'd be like, okay, back to normal. And that would be the like almost the mourning period for the thing that you didn't achieve. Mm-hmm. So this summer was, you know, England at the moment is a mess. The economy is kind of balancing on the precipice. Brexit is a an insane idea put forward by mad people um, <laughs> with profound vested interests that's going to wreck the country, but has already divided the people. Like I, I would say there's a small percentage chance that there's maybe one person listening to this that's super mad about what I just said, because um, the, the country is very, very divided. Um, and we know that there's a huge difference between like uh, metropolitan London, or I live in Birmingham, which is a super multicultural city, and like some rural North Yorkshire village or whatever. You know, or even within different areas of Birmingham, like the 50-50 split uh, in the Brexit vote in Birmingham. And if you if you map that, it's like live in a multicultural area, you're probably going to vote remain. Live in a super white area, you're probably going to vote leave. You know, this is this is the, the level of division in the country. But all of that was completely forgotten for a month this summer. Like the weather was good and England got to the semi-final of a World Cup. You saw it, right? We, yeah. This place went absolutely bananas for getting behind this team, um, which incidentally also represents a kind of somewhat utopian vision of what English society could be. <laughs> like, But that's that's a side issue. But anyway, Side issue, side issue. Yeah, Southgate for Prime Minister. No question. Um, but you know, Zizou pour président aussi. But you know, the the kind they of shop, they shop? No. no, no, no. I mean, no. I'll find no. <laughs> Listen, the way you handle that Benzema thing, I'd be worried. Um, man, look, my screw this shop, man. Um, it's better than Mourinho, though, but that's a side issue. No, he's hey, not. Easy, <laughs> um, uh, he's better at managing Paul Pogba than Mourinho, and that's you know, sure. we, you know, we, we had that conversation in our WhatsApp group today, actually. Like, it's kind of weird how he can unlock Pogba, but, you know, Allegri can unlock him, Conte can unlock him, Deschamps can do it, but Mourinho can't. Yes, because it takes <laughs> setting your ego aside, something that Jose Mourinho is incapable oh, of doing. But anyway, the, 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 the thing about football bringing a country together... As far as I'm concerned, like apart from there were a couple of incidents, like people smashed up an IKEA after we beat Sweden because people are idiots. But generally speaking, this was a mostly positive experience, and there was kind of more good than bad. 
And I think that probably in the world of supporting a football team, there are many more people who are kind of um, getting a, a, a harmless escapism or even a helpful escapism from supporting a football team. It's all about not allowing it to become obsession, which is pretty much the same for anything in life that isn't about nurturing your fundamental well-being. So that like, it is worth becoming obsessed with uh, developing a more positive mindset. Like positive obsessions in that way are really powerful and useful. But basically being completely obsessed with any facet of life that isn't about self-development is going to cause you a problem. So basically be a fan and don't be obsessed. And I think one of the things that we haven't even touched on today that is super fascinating is the difference between being a fan of a team and a fan of a player. See, for a long time, I have thought about the idea that maybe what this is about is the cult of the individual in society. Like before Hope got here, we were talking about the Edward Wood playing banner. And the fact that this is pointed at Edward Wood is very, and even the, the reaction to Mourinho, both positive and negative, is very much about the kind of cult of individual. We live in a society which is sort of obsessed with the culture of the individual. And I think that the um, the Ronaldo-Messi dichotomy slightly fits into that quite neatly, I think. The, the fact that there are genuinely people that would support these players, whatever team they played for. Like, So I'm sure there are people that were a Madrid fan last year and they're now a Juventus fan because Ronaldo moved. FG, like that... FG, FG. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and that's super fascinating to me. And I'm I'm not saying I think it's bad. Because I'm not one of these old people that looks at what young people does and say, oh, I don't understand what dabbing is. You know, like, I'm not saying it's bad. I just think it's interesting that it's very different from the traditional approach, which is you pick a team and you stick with that team. And if player leaves you, then they're a treacherous scumbag or the odd exception they're allowed to leave because they've passed their use. So I, I think it's it's a fascinating thing. And I wonder how much of it is about the increased role of the individual in society and how much of it is just about the fact that Messi and Ronaldo came along at the same time as each other. It's interesting in my case because I, I am a part of the cult of the individual in in one way. And that's mm. that's 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 Vince Carter. <laughs> but but the reason that is the case is because he has connections to something that I care deeply about in North Carolina basketball. The reason I really love Vince Carter is because he played for the North Carolina Tar Heels when I was like eight years old, and then he went into the league, and then I followed whichever team he goes to. That's the team that I support in the NBA. But the NBA is interesting in, in that I think there's more player fans. Like you're a fan of LeBron, you're a fan of Kobe, you're a fan. Well, Kobe is the Lakers in some way, but like it's not as tribalistic, I don't think, as football is. So maybe that's not the best example. But I can relate to people who do that in some way is my point. No, but I think it's a brilliant example precisely because of how influential American culture is. Um, okay. So I, I wonder whether actually the fact that that exists in American culture, in American sports culture, somewhat explains the fact that it's growing around the world. Because especially like younger people probably... And But just generally speaking, the American cultural imperialism and American cultural influence is unparalleled compared to basically any other country in the world. Yeah. So I wonder, I wonder whether some of that is, is just to do with that culture spreading. Something that Hope said a long time ago in the show, which I think is a point worth making when it comes to like what fans do and what fans care about. And I think that the, the idea that like, okay, watch them score a goal, that's brilliant. But if you want to know anything about their personal life, that's not okay. I think that's a 
that's a slightly complex issue because the one thing that humans are more fascinated by than anything else is other humans. So like when you invest in something, you do tend to want to know more about what you're investing in. And I, I agree with you that the kind of level of investment is uh, probably not particularly healthy, but I don't think it's that weird that someone who's super a super fan of a player would kind of end up learning more about their life. It isn't weird, but you shouldn't do it. Like it is human. <laughs> like, like, like it is human to want to know more and everything and when you have an attachment. But I've sort of had to catch myself sometimes because there are times where I've followed a guy I was really close to and I was only to, to find out about their family themselves. I said, wait a minute. I said, wait a minute, wait. What the hell am I doing here? Mm. Why am I looking at interviews of them with their wives and their who 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 who, who they got divorced? Like, that's not my problem. I'm about their talent. And it's and that's where it stops. The box stops at their talent. Everything else is their private life and whatever they they want to do. So you and, don't read like people's Wikipedia pages and just like, oh, this is he's born here. He's like such and such old. Oh, no, 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 I mean, no, yeah, like no, for me, like I like to also like you know general information. Like okay, so because it gives you an insight into their their talents. Oh, okay, so this is how he grew up. Wow, look at how amazing it was. And what he had to go through to be this person that he he was, and maybe how he grew up formed him to be this talented individual yeah, that yeah, I yeah. now follow. So, but as far as like, look, I mean, why are you liking a a pick with someone's kids, man? That's weird to me. To I'm actually double click like on someone's kids, I think is is I don't know. Don't 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 do that, bro. Don't do I, that. I've... I follow Wayne Rooney on Twitter and he put a picture of his kids up today and I I, I just clicked like on it reflexively because it was like it was they were all having a good time. And I was like, oh, that's nice, isn't it? Look at that. <laughs> but then nobody in their right mind would call me a Wayne Rooney super fan, I guess. So. The Messi-Ronaldo thing is a unique dichotomy in the history of football. There has never been a time when there are two players at the two biggest, most supported clubs in the world at the peak of like swapping Ballon d'Ors and Champions Leagues and league titles. And, you know, it, it was, it, it has been a, a kind of extraordinary time in the sport. And I'm not surprised that it's caused a culture shift, partly because of the, of the way social culture and society, like global culture is, but mm. also just because this is a different thing than has happened before. Like the, the, like in in my lifetime, we had in in the kind of Arsenal United rivalry, Keane versus Vieira was definitely held up as the sort of central personal battle in that rivalry. But really, there were many others, and essentially, it was a battle between the two teams. Versus Messi and Ronaldo, where it has because individual awards have also been prioritised, people have become more and more invested in the individuals themselves, which I think is fascinating creepy <laughs> no i don't mean the individuals in their personal life that's not what i mean i mean mm. the individual success in the football pitch of the both players and and the kind of arguments about which one's better and all that stuff i'm i'm not sure i find that to be creepy although it definitely has a creepy compartment in its uh in the no, 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 for me. i just think that's like people need to have better things to do with their life than being obsessed with that with with that dumbass rivalry of Messi Cristiano and fighting yeah, but, each other like it's it's I mean like I'm sorry like it's 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 stupid you but know, the it, thing it, is, it, it is stupid 
loads of people would look at your hobbies and go, oh, you should have better things to do in your life than like, I don't know, care that much about the Matrix but, or whatever. No, 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 but wait, but my... But, <laughs> I don't know. But my hobbies don't involve me being racist and insane. No, no, of, of, of course not. But but I think that there are many, many people who are invested in the Ronaldo versus Messi rivalry without being racist. And the, the people who uh, are being racist about that are no, racist. Paul, I, no, Paul, the people who are that's Keith, the people who are invested, invested in it are extreme. See, there are, there are people who are like, oh, no, no, I think Messi's cool because it's good, and then, they, and then they'll just make their points and go for them. The other people who are invested, literally, it gets to insulting people. It gets but, to the whole thing, so... But that that isn't different to people who are invested in Liverpool or United or City or Arsenal or Barcelona or Chelsea or whatever. Like, that... The, the fandoms are have an any the extreme compartment of any fan group is going to be really creepy and unpleasant what i'm saying is i don't think it is the messi and ronaldo dynamic that brings out the the extreme i think it is the point that we were that both you guys made more generally earlier that the thing that brings out the extreme is generally speaking a lack of well-being that, that it's that that brings out the extreme and and maybe Maybe there is something about latching onto the individual over a team that would that would breed the extreme. But as Daniel was talking about Bleacher Report comments earlier, um, <laughs> there's a very solid argument to say that no teams do exactly the same thing. But you know? but I mean to that point, I do think if you really really research this person's life and you feel as if you are connected to them even though they don't know you which could be a sign of madness in some way but again i'm not qualified to speak on it but you've never met this person but but you look at their pictures you feel connected to this individual to where it's uh, as you said the thing that interests humans the most is other humans i feel like that personal connection that you create in your mind that you have with this person probably does make you go a little bit harder in the paint than a entity that's just a club I do you know what I, I mean. I do know what you mean, but I'm not sure I agree because I think the thing that a club is is it's your tribe, and people go hard in the paint for their tribe. There is that kind of oh, you insult us, you insult all of one of us, you insult all of us. You know that that kind of mentality. And I mean, we've both written about clubs on the internet. Are you <laughs> telling me that you haven't received absolutely like dangerous levels of ferocity from people? I, I feel like half hope attacking Messi on Twitter is probably more dangerous than anything I think I've ever written. Right, right, fair enough. Or like saying saying your idols are frauds. <laughs> Obviously, that's antagonistic. So you're gonna get a yeah. level of, of antagonism back. And I I don't think I ever wrote anything. Look, or write it's, it's, or write anything to love. be me. It was done in love. It was done. In love. <laughs> I don't think so. But no, I I definitely think that if you Actually, feel like you have a personal connection to somebody that you're going to go a little bit harder than you would for a club. I don't know. That's just, maybe that's my personality though. You see, I'm just I, trying to I, put that on everyone. Yeah, I genuinely, that has not been my experience. My my experience is that people are, but I guess that's, that is partly just because of the culture that I'm embedded in. Like the, the you know, the culture that I understand in terms of sport more than any other is definitely Man United fans and specifically 
like not that I don't have a lot of I haven't had a lot to do with United fans around the world because I definitely have and like podcast gets listened to all over the place and I've had loads of emails and, and back when I was on Twitter of course tons of interaction with people from all around the world but the people that I see face to face and talk to and know and go to games with and stuff that's the culture that I understand best and those people go hard in the paint <laughs> You so know. okay, this, this might be an interesting point that maybe we can end on. I don't know. Um, why 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 leave Twitter? Was it was part of it because of this? Yes, um, there's lots of reasons that I left Twitter. Um, at some point, this is like might sound like I'm doing a humble brag, but I'm definitely not because there's no brag involved. You but became too point, famous for your own goods. Yeah, at some point, my <laughs> my Twitter threshold crossed the line. So up until about ten thousand people, it was kind of manageable. By the time it got to thirty five thousand, it was just ridiculous. I couldn't ever tweet anything without at least one person misunderstanding what I said, and I I'm I'm a very social person by tendency so it's very difficult for me to kind of cut off and not not look at mentions and and that sort of thing which I, I could have done but also I have no real interest in doing it for a number of reasons one I think that the format of Twitter encourages information overload which is not particularly good for mental health and emotional well-being because there is a constant drip feed of information um, the other is that the state of the world is so chaotic. I don't particularly want to be repeatedly exposed to small doses of that. Uh, and the other is that even the people calling out the bad stuff um, would constantly draw your attention to the negative in the world. And not that I am saying like, oh, let's all live in a bubble where we pretend the negative isn't happening, but being constantly exposed to it and not being exposed to a kind of countermeasure of, you know, people fighting and making a difference and, you know, working with homeless people or, you know, investing their lives in other people's well-being. Like, we don't see that and that's not exposed to us. So there's a kind of relentless negativity and anxiety to Twitter as just as a format and as a culture that I don't like. But also, I really don't like people calling me the C word for saying stuff about football. Like, it, it just, <laughs> it's, it's not enjoyable. It's not necessary. And like, I, you know, I'm under no illusions. I'm a white man. This is, I'm, I'm at the... The, the that's the minimum possible hassle you can get and it was still horrible so I was just like I don't know as soon as I didn't need it for work anymore I thought to myself do I like this and the answer was I like some things about it I definitely like some people that I've met from it but it's no longer serving a valuable purpose in my life so I'm gonna jet Paul has some of the best um, Instagram videos <laughs> on, on, on Instagram, man, it's like it's like whenever I go on Instagram, I know you have those circles. I don't know what they're called, those thirty second thingies or whatever. I like because he has like such a chubby teddy bear face. So when I just see him, like I just laugh, like so you know, like so yeah. I don't just laugh, like, I, I, I find I, I find I find his face amusing. So yeah. I thought you were gonna say like endearing or nice, but you went with amusing. That's that's tough to take. Paul, where can the people find you, uh, your podcast, all that kind of stuff? Yeah, um, if you like to listen to people talking about Manchester United, uh, then you can listen to our podcast at, um, just search for United Rant or Rantcast on any podcast provider, um, and you'll find us there. All right, cool. This was the Talking Tech, this podcast, a bit different this time, but I liked it. We do this every Tuesday. Remember to follow us on Twitter at Talking Tactics, Instagram, Facebook, SoundCloud. I'm missing something. Subscribe on iTunes. Um, if you haven't, leave a five-star review. We'll read it on the show. I don't think we got any this week. Uh, yeah, Talking Tech, this podcast, sometimes funny. Sometimes serious.
Always for ball. Indeed. We'll see you guys next week. Peace. Peace. Sports Social Podcast Network.